Five-Year Mission, the podcast, episode nine. Five-Year Mission, the podcast is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com. Fansets, our pins have character. <laughs> Do a fast version. By now you figured out that this is a five-year mission poker! Welcome to Five Year Mission, the podcast. We just had a great interview. I thought it was fun. Well, it was fun. I don't know. I don't know how great I was. You did pretty good. You think? Yeah. It was my first time. So yeah, we. Uh, I mean, we, it, it was it was a long road getting from there to here. <laughs> we didn't ask him about that. No, we did. We should. We really should have. If you haven't guessed by now or didn't read the episode title, our guest tonight was John Billingsley, who wound, who actually winds up introducing himself. The delightful John Billingsley, and yes, he he was under the impression that we were not going to introduce him, which was I mean understandable, understandable yeah. because we just kind of launched into yeah, it. He we didn't know we were started gonna, talking. Well, he didn't yeah. know we were going to do this this intro beforehand. So when he listens to this, which I'm sure he will. Oh, absolutely. Then he'll see right now that we're doing an intro. He and Bonnie um, are going to sit around the fireplace and right. listen to Five Year Mission, the podcast, and if, if listen to can, himself talk about books and politics. If they can find the fireplace behind all their stacks of books. 15, John, John books. has a lot of books, which which we talk about extensively. But spo- spoiler what? alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> we, talk about, we talk about books extensively. We talk about a lot of politics. And I think there's a couple Star Trek references in there. So just a couple, a, a couple, yeah, lots, literally a couple. Lots of potty mouth. Lots of potty mouth. So if you are a sensitive listener, there is profanity in this episode, as well as some pretty intense political talking. So we have eight other episodes. Eight other, yeah, eight yeah. other episodes that you could. We'd be delighted if you'd listen to. If this one is a little forceful for you. Um, but we, hey, we won't apologize for that. It's our first Star Star Trek alum it outside is. of Jim Morehouse, it who is. was in one episode of Enterprise. And I, I, I really, um, in I don't know why you wouldn't know, but if you haven't watched Enterprise, you might not know that John Billingsley played the Doctor on the show, Doctor Flox. He was an, an alien, a denobli- denobulin. For some reason, I can't ever say that word. I have to really concentrate on denobulin. Denobulin. Um, he was on. He was a uh, one of the. Uh, Stars on the show. Main cast, main, yeah. main cast, that's what I was looking for. You might also know him from uh, his run on True Blood. True Blood, he was on True Blood. He, he made an appearance on Northern Exposure. Back Scrubs. Back. He was on Scrubs, he was in two episodes X-Files, of Scrubs. The West Wing, which I just watched that West Wing episode like two nights ago. And it was, I've been watching, going through the West Wing and it was total coincidence. And I'm like, that's John Billingsley. I'm interviewing him. <laughs> um, he was in an episode of Stargate. He was in SG-1. Stargate. That's right. He was on yeah. on a, a short lived series called The Nine. Did you ever watch? Um, oh, what Malcolm was that? and Eddie. No. He was on that too. There was a, he was on Shameless recently. That's right. Yeah. But there was another. There was a series. Uh, oh, The Nine. That's what I was thinking of because he was on another series, another short lived series called The Others. Right. Or something mm-hmm. like that. But The Nine, I really enjoyed it. It was. It, it didn't last very long, but I really liked that show. Yeah, I, I liked him. Any of that. He was on Prison Break. Mm-hmm. He was the uh, like the president's. Uh, or he's vice president or president's brother or something in the first first season. He was he was, um, he was in a couple episodes of Gilmore Girls. Yeah, so he's the original been, run. John is one of the great character actors of of our time. You know, he's he's a, a, a very uh, really really nice guy. Um, very very into really really a really intelligent guy. It's a, a really a lot of fun to talk to him. Um, very political. Also, quite an activist, which which we'll talk about. Uh, not uh, politically necessarily, but uh, socially. Socially. So it's uh, it's a fun interview. And one of one of my favorite things about John is that he he has some of my most favorite fan interactions because he yes. he enjoys hanging out with the fans. He gets he enjoys getting to know people. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite things, which I I we unfortunately ran out of time, didn't get to touch on, was a. Uh, Quite a few years ago, uh, FedCon USA, the doomed and failed uh, one and one quarter day sci-fi convention, uh, they ended up canceling it uh, at 11 a.m. the second day of the convention when uh, John and Bonnie were about to take the stage, and uh, they yeah. came up and announced it after them they themselves the con- the guy guys running the convention 
found out about it like 15 minutes beforehand. And so uh, John was advocating making sure everybody was getting a refund. Everybody knew all the information that they needed to know. So he was really standing up for the little guy. I mean, and it shows with his uh, with his like social activism. I mean, and he cares about the fans and just wants to make sure that he's out there taking helping out the little guy. And I, I, I sincerely love that about John Billingsley. And plus, he's hilarious. You know, we talk about when we first met him, but what we don't really mention is how gracious and approachable, approachable and, you know, accommodating these weird nerds that play a Star Trek band. <laughs> you know, he, he was so open to talking to us. Um, you know, when I talked to him, we talked about politics quite extensively when we first met. And, um, you know, he was he was helping support uh, a political candidate, which, again, we'll get into. Mm. But, um, you know, that's that's how we first met. And he and I have kept in touch. And he's just a very just a real approachable, really, really great guy. I, I'm really glad that we got to talk to him. So. so without further ado, let's get into our talk with Mr. John Billingsley. I'm in the meeting. Oh, no. He found us. Holy shit. I'm in the meeting. I thought I would. I saw all the instructions and then I thought, <laughs> oh, fuck, I'm never going to get this right. <laughs> you made it. My wife is here. Do you, do you want to say a word on this podcast, Bonnie? Uh, Bonnie does not want to speak on your podcast. What a bitch. Jesus Christ. Hi. Bonnie, it's Chris. It's Chris Spurgeon from the famous um, uh, Star Trek band. Whose name is escaping me? Five year mission. mission. Five year mission. Hi. Hi. She's. She. I hate to say this, but she couldn't look less interested. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, we were talking about the first time we met you, Uh-oh. and it was actually here in Indy, and in Indianapolis, and we we all met you very briefly. But I actually talked to Bonnie for quite some time. She was delightful. She is delightful. Yeah. Oh, well, she hasn't aged well, so I should cross. <laughs> she was delightful. She was very delightful back then. We call those the delightful years around here. I like that. Well, I call them that. I call them that under my breath. None of this is going out yet to the general public, is it? Are you taping this shit? Oh, yeah. But it's not oh, live. Fuck. <laughs> all right. We edit really That's well, right. though. Now go ahead. I don't care. I'm past the point of caring. I I tremble perpetually on the on the edge of the grave every day. It's like I'm here. I'm alive. <laughs> and that's all that I can matters. Say whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> fuck Donald Trump. Put that on the air. Uh, oh, we will. Fuck him. We will. Fuck him and the horse he rode in on. That cocksucker. Uh, that will definitely make the yeah, cut. Yes. <laughs> you'll probably you'll probably edit that, but nonetheless. No, no, no. Um, who who all on? Well, we we have myself. This is Chris, and then Andy. Yes. Andy's on. Andy and Mike and Mike. Andy. Mike, Chris, Andy, Mike. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So yeah. You, you have three fifths of the band. Yeah. Three fifths. What happened to the other two guys? Oh, they don't matter. They have other things. <laughs> I got you. It's it's like not having fucking Ringo. Who cares? You know? <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. Nobody yeah. likes nobody likes drummers. Yeah. Uh oh. Wait. That, that was the drummer. I, uh, they, this this <laughs> is the drummer. drummer. Yeah. I, I should have thought first. What I meant was George Harrison. Who gives a fuck about George Harrison? Hey, now. <laughs> uh oh. Pete Best. I mean, who gives a fuck about? He wasn't even in, really in the band, was he? Fuck him. What, like uh, Billy Billy Shears? Yeah, the the fifth Beatles. Stu Sutcliffe. Stu Sutcliffe. Yeah, there Stu we Sutcliffe. go. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Those, that's who I meant. That's who I meant. I'm, I'm starting to think um, that John knows nothing about five-year missions. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't, he hasn't I followed a career. Were, I remember you were all very pleasant, as I recall, <laughs> various times I've met you. Mostly I remember you from, like, kind of tumbling on stage at inopportune moments when you were trying to play or yeah. interfering with your process in some fashion. Or <laughs> What's funny is that we, yeah, were, I, we were talking earlier, and then we were trying to remember the last time that we saw you, and then... Uh, we f- we figured it was a really good night because Chris couldn't remember a thing about it. <laughs> it probably was in uh, Vegas because I I think I introduced you to J- uh, Jess Phoenix. You know what? Oh. You were talking. We we went to a a, a gaze in space um, oh, and party I was function, about and you were her. talking about Jess Phoenix, and that's. Yeah. And I remember okay. I came up and I talked to you for a while. That's that's kind of where we started. Uh, you know, our dialogue, I guess. 
Yeah. And okay. um, that's what I was thinking. You know, we exchanged emails and, and kept in touch. You did invite me to a, a fundraiser you had, I think, um, I don't know, it might have been a year or two ago, but it was in oh, for, for it was Katie a, Hill, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. for Katie Hill. And it was at your home. So, you know, it was a long way to drive to get there. So I didn't make I, it. I, but, I can uh, understand that. <laughs> but we did, you know, we were. Like Andy said, we were talking about that, and I remember us talking at the bar, and I remember the at the bar. Yeah, that we were. It was it was a bar, and yeah. at the, at the Gaze and Space party. I believe that was me. Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was, and I, we have pictures to prove it, John. For you. Okay. But after that, apparently, we went and did karaoke, and I have no memory of it. Oh, you were hosting was I that doing one. Karaoke too. You were you, hosting. You, you didn't. You 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 weren't performing any karaoke. You were just hosting the panels. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've hosted a few times. There was one I danced a lot. Was it that one? I th- I, I do I do remember seeing you uh, doing a, like a, like a weird old white guy dance off to the side. I remember some dancing. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I usually don't sing, but I'll go out and dance and kind of get people all riled up by dancing dirty. <laughs> riled up. That's that's my tactic. That's kind of your thing, though, um, John, isn't it? You you try to get getting people riled. Getting yeah, people riled up. I've seen you much. on stage. A hype man. <laughs> you are the hype man. <laughs> <laughs> Next time we do a, a convention together, we need we need to get you up on stage and and give us a little hype because sometimes. After a while, the after crowd like needs a little. Six hours that, of panels. After, yeah, after six hours of panels, and then we come up there, they need a little uh, extra push. Well, I'm going to tell you a story now. Are you, are you taping all this? Are we, we taping you? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Have a conversation. Let's okay, do it. Cool, yeah. So when I was at, wait, wait, what do you mean? Let's do it. So it hasn't started yet? No, it has. We've been recording this whole time. It has. Yeah. Oh, okay, excellent, excellent. Because we didn't get like any formal. You know, do you want me to introduce myself? Are you going to introduce me? Hi, folks. I'm John Billingsley. And in case anybody was wondering, I wasn't really provided a legitimate introduction by these guys. So let me introduce myself. I play Dr. Phlox on the least popular Star Trek series, Enterprise, although I was clearly the most popular character. That's true. There you go. Introduction. Um, let's see. Yes, I was going to say in Germany one time, one of the Convent. Oh, I was not invited back, unfortunately, to Germany. Uh, not not the country. The country would have had me back <laughs> at the convention. Um, Bonnie and I went, and we were up on the first day. We were last, like the first fucking day. And it was after uh, uh, Edward James Olmos and Nichelle Nichols. Ooh. Now, both of those are lovely people, but yeah. they're a little on the serious side, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. yeah. It was like... A lot, lot of talk about serious shit. And it was like 4,000 German people, 11 o'clock at night, and they're all fucking fast asleep. Yeah. So I came on without my pants. <laughs> Bonnie rushed up on stage, tried to put them on. We wrestled around. We ran around. We chased each other, all the while engaging in very high-level badinage. And in the end, we got a fucking standing ovation. <laughs> and that may be... Actually, unfortunately, and sadly, the crowning moment of my life, which <laughs> and which also kind of and also perhaps the reason that you weren't invited back to Germany. Potentially, but, potentially, potentially. really, I mean, come on, really? <laughs> it's Germany, a, and don't tell me that if Dominic Keating is getting invited back, I shouldn't be fucking invited. Back. <laughs> yeah, that pretty boy. Uh, I was I was referring to his indecorous behavior. Oh, God. I am not. The most indecorous actor on Star Trek. I am the third most third indecorous best. actor. Did, did you end up with your pants off on more than one occasion? Um, uh, at Star Trek conventions? Yeah, because yeah. if not, I've heard this story before. <laughs> no, you've probably heard this story before. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, I, I did, I did, uh, I did, uh, uh, when I, one of the, well, actually, this was in Germany, too. I'm now I'm beginning to wonder why, I, I'm beginning, to, you're right, it's, there's a reason why I never got invited back to Germany. <laughs> uh, 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 Linda, Linda Park was, uh, yeah. was uh, trying to raise money for some kind of auction, and I, I, I danced, and I was auctioning my clothing off, up until the point <laughs> when my pants would have come off, and my wife stood up from the audience and said, there will be no more of this, <laughs> and put the kibosh on the event, which is unfortunate, because I would have raised a fortune for Linda I think and so. her charity. It's the showmanship, the the excitement, and... <laughs> the brio, I think the yes. word you're looking oh, for God. is brio. It is, yes. So... 
I, I want to ask you, I did my, my, my goal re- is to not let you actually ask the question. <laughs> By the way, this is, I want to see if I can get through the whole podcast without you ever getting to actually ask a question. So you know, excellent you know, job I, so far. I, I mean, I've, so far, I, it's, so good, right? it's, yeah. it's pretty good, huh? I, it's kind of a goal of mine to do interviews where the interviewer never actually asks a question. I've, yeah. I've, I actually listened to a few, your like a few of your interviews like leading up to this. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much your, your MO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now go ahead. Ask a question. Ask away. <laughs> ask away. Take your best shot. No, see. So pick carefully because I don't want to ask any questions now. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you're an avid reader. Correct. Yes. And I read somewhere that you have quite an extensive book collection. Is that is that true? Correct. Probably about 15,000. Wow. 15,000? You're a library. Yeah. That's amazing. That's what I wanted to be when I was a kid. I wanted to be a librarian. Really? I would actually, I would cut class. I didn't like school. And I would go to the public library and I would call my mom and say, I hated school today. I'm at the library. And she would kind of sigh and she would come nominally to pick me up. And then she would hang around with me all day in the library. And we'd just browse the stacks and sit and read and take stacks of books home. Um, My parents were big readers. They had Florida ceiling bookshelf that uh, stretched of a long wall in our living room, and I would stand in front of it as a little kid and look up at it. It was totemic. It was the way that religious people must feel standing in a cathedral. So <laughs> as I grew up, I thought, librarian, I'm going to be a librarian, I'm going to be a librarian. And then somebody said, oh, library science? And I heard the word science, and I thought, fuck that, I'm going to be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, you moved around a lot, though, as a kid, right? Yes, my parents were criminals. So, <laughs> so it was just like staying one step ahead of a law, man. Sometimes well, you got to do that middle of the night. Oh yeah, they'd wake me up like three in the morning, kind of hustle me into the back of the you know burned up fucking Chevrolet. We'd kind of tear off down the road. My dad would hand me the gun. I'd fire out the back window. <laughs> the cops. It was so did you just have a pretty, you know pretty a, intense? I was like five. It was pretty intense. Did you just have a, a trunk of emergency books, or did you you know just <laughs> replenish the supply wherever you went? We we did move around a lot because my dad worked for General Electric and he was transferred a fair amount. Um, so we lived in uh, I lived in uh, Media, Pennsylvania, Schenectady, New York, uh, Fayetteville, New York, Huntsville, Alabama, New Orleans, Slidell, Manhattan, and Southern Connecticut. And then I went to school in Vermont and lived in London, Chicago, Seattle. And various points that I'm forgetting. So I've been around. Do you think having yeah. moved so much of, as a as a child, do you think that kind of engendered your love for traveling? Uh, I, I think to a certain extent, my love of traveling was kind of baked into the pie, given what I do for a living. You know, when you're yeah, a theater okay. actor, you really are living out of a suitcase. Um, and if anything, I probably, although I still love to travel, I kind of burned out on that. You know, there's a point in time at which... You, you just say, I gotta have a, I gotta have a roof. I gotta have sure. a coat rack. Yeah. So one of the reasons I'm, one of the reasons I moved down here is because I was really, I couldn't really imagine a world in which I could ever have that kind of uh, normalcy in my life if I stayed a theater actor. And I don't tend to pursue as much out of town work. You know, these days in film and TV, so much of the work is 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 going to take you overseas or even in the U.S. You kind of have to be willing to relocate frequently to Atlanta or New Mexico. Mm-hmm. So I I kind of I'm not semi-retired exactly, but I I'm I'm loath to take uh, certain jobs if they're going to take me away for protracted periods of time. Also, I now am the executive director, co-executive director of a, a charitable organization called the Hollywood Food Coalition. Yes. I do a lot of work in, in my community with the um, uh, with the, uh, people who are food insecure and people who are living on the streets. And that's really important work to me. So uh, so there are certain limitations imposed on how long I can be away. Yeah, I, I've, I've... All of which diverged from your initial question. Yes, I have 15,000 <laughs> books. They're stashed all over the house. My wife is extraordinarily, extraordinarily patient. Um, and, uh, uh, it's lunacy because I couldn't possibly, the question that people always ask is, have you read all those books? It's like, no, of course not. You'd have to read like every second of every minute of every hour of every day. Uh, but I like the idea of being able to browse, 
every day of my life, the way I used to browse in a library. And it, they do make you read more. When you are surrounded by books, they kind of yell at you. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. are you ever going to read me, motherfucker? <laughs> so, does, does, your, does Bonnie share your love of reading? I mean, does she avail herself of your extensive collection? Uh, periodically, she's not as, as passionate a reader as I am. Um, I think she was more of a passionate reader in her youth. At times, I think she has sort of very gently suggested that uh, living with somebody who sort of makes reading almost a sport, she kind of feels a little like, uh, you know, oh, Jesus, fuck you, I'm going to do something else <laughs> when I have to compete. Um, She's the underdog. I don't, I, don't th- I don't think of it that way, but she might somehow. Yeah. Um, but you- no, it is my, it is, you know, it's absolutely precious to me. I, I get really, and Bonnie will say this, she'll say, you get really pissy if you have to go a few days without reading. <laughs> And it's true. I, I really get resentful and it's really important for me to make sure I have the time to read. So are you a, do you, do you, are you a speed reader or are you, ca- you know, no, a leisurely reader? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, uh, Vladimir Nabokov famously said that uh, a reader is a rereader, that the first time yeah. through you're grappling with the book, you're kind of, you know, mulling it over a, gr- a great yarn kind of has its own propulsive quality, but a really mm-hmm. good book. Yeah, you kind of need to read it twice, and you kind of need to read it carefully for it to really land in you. Agree. Even, yeah, I love yeah. that. A, even a, a history. I mean, when we went to school, you know, if you had a test on material, you'd read that stuff two or three times mm-hmm. because otherwise you're not going to remember it in much detail. When you're reading a script, if you're an actor and you're working on a play, you read it and read it and read it. So I kind of have to balance my love of reading and my desire to read a lot with my desire to make sure that I've given a book a good read. Mm -hmm. So I read things pretty carefully. I find if I'm reading a book and I'm not necessarily digging it, I'll speed read my way through it the first time and then go back and read it the second time. Now, knowing the story, knowing what, you know, is, is potentially tricky or problematic about it. And I'll give it an intelligent reading, but one that doesn't feel like I have to kind of rush I won't be impatient for what happens next. I'm quite a slow reader. Uh, and generally, you know, I guess what I read isn't all that highbrow. But um, I'm reading uh, Judd does Apatow's. Does it pictures? <laughs> it actually does in the yeah. middle. Uh, okay. It's, it's Judd, Judd Apatow's uh-huh. uh, book, Sick in the Head. Is it it's... one of those books where if you push a button, it'll make noises at you? Like... No, but if you, <laughs> o- if you open it just the right way, it, it uh-huh. little things pop up. Little things pop up. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. No, it's it's. Yeah. I, I've kind of become a little obsessed with listening to and reading about comedians lately. Um, oh, and, okay. And his book is all about. It's just all interviews that he's done with comedians, and so you know, like Seinfeld and Jay Leno and yeah. and Amy Schumer and all these all these other uh, great actors and comedians, and it's just a really yeah. interesting. Yeah, I, I have it. Uh, okay, like somewhere yeah. in like some somewhere in the stack. In the piles. Somewhere. Yeah, it's a really interesting. In the have you read Born Standing Up? No. Uh, by Steve Martin? Oh, no. Steve yeah, Martin. I, that's a, I, I have it on my, on my list, actually. It's, it's actually in a stack at home right now. I love Steve yeah, Martin. That's, yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Um, yeah. So, so yes, you put your you put your finger on the pulse of my of my primary vice. <laughs> yeah. Not my own, not my only vice, but my primary vice. That's okay. It, would it would it embarrass you to know that we're sitting in a comic book store right now? I'm unembarrassable. <laughs> How do you we feel about this. comic books? So that that kind of uh, you know, is I that... had a huge comic book collection. I had uh, huh. probably ten, fifteen thousand comic books when I was growing up. <laughs> I had Ellery Queen mystery magazines and Alfred Hitchcock mystery magazines, fantasy and science fiction, analog, galaxy. I, I like to read, you know. I mean, yeah. I I read all sorts of stuff. I don't I don't read as I got older. I I kind of I, I started reading above a certain weight class, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. But yeah. I still read um, um, uh, graphic novels. Uh, so you know, I, I'm I'm a great believer that the thing you have to do with kids is encourage them to read. And I I was certainly yeah. fell in love with reading in part because I loved comic books. Yeah. I'm all for that. I have a seven-year-old son who's very much into reading right now, and it's very exciting for me. <laughs> but yeah, but both both of my kids right now, they're eight and ten, and that's all they do is they, they just want to read, read, read. And I've, I've been getting them, getting them into more and more like graphic novels, but it's like uh, it's like true history 
like graphic uh, novels like they, they they just read one about like the holocaust and one about they just they just read a, a george george takei's graphic novel Oh, cool. about the about the Japanese internment camps and like my yeah, daughter, yeah, yeah. yeah my, my my daughter broke down in tears at that one. So, well, it sounds like you're pretty yeah. agnostic as far as the uh, you know literature and and you like everything, which is which is cool. Yeah, I mean, I I like I I want the prose to be good. I mean, I confess yeah. that mm-hmm. there are. Um, you know, I'm not going to read. I'm not going to read a Daniel Steele novel. I'm not going to read something that I think is clunky. Yeah. But I'm Catholic in the sense that I will read a thriller. I will read a sci-fi novel. I will read a. Uh, I will read a so-called chick lit uh, book. I have a great affection for writers who have kind of fallen out of our consciousness, who were very popular and I think terrific yarn spinners from the uh, 20th century. So, uh, John. Have you, or do you have any um, Star Trek related books? Have you ever read any, or do you have any uh, no. in your collection? No, no, not even, not even any of William Shatner's books. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I'm, I want to go back to something that we touched on earlier. At what point did you, did you have that kind of revelation? You know, I don't want to do science. I'm going to do. I'm going to be an actor. And then you started doing. You know, you started working in theater, and. Uh, you know, you, you went through, uh, you know, you did a, a lot of theater and then you founded, uh, you actually founded the, that repertory theater, correct? Yeah, I was, um, well, to begin with, I was always, I was never good at science or math. I mean, I was okay <laughs> at science. Math befuddled me after a certain point. When they took, when they started putting letters in, I thought, what's the point of this? <laughs> letters? Yeah, algebra and then geometry was like, I was at it, I'm done. So I, I, it was, it was always going to be a career in the arts, and I kind of am being facetious in that I did love libraries. I don't think I ever really thought I'd be a librarian. I was either going to be a writer or an actor, and I still write. But uh, I went to school uh, with an open mind as to which one of those two paths I would take. I had the fortune and the misfortune to study with some amazing writers and you know not everybody is necessarily hep to the the literary world but uh, bernard malamud was a teacher of mine george garrett was a teacher of mine nicholas del banco was a teacher of mine uh, malamud specifically but all of those gentlemen are are really extraordinary writers and and you know kind of 20th century masters uh, i would say and at the age of 19 or 20, when you're studying with somebody who's that great, you just feel like such a dweeb and an idiot <laughs> that I kind of shrunk and I skedaddled over to the drama department where all of the teachers were good. They weren't fucking masters. So I felt like, well, I'll, I'll live here. Plus, there were more girls. I could do um, this, too. <laughs> that doesn't hurt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I think I really kind of cemented myself as an actor as opposed to a writer in college, probably around the age of 19 or 20. Okay. And then I got out of school. I, I ended up kind of chasing my parents because they had they had moved when I went away to college from Connecticut. They traveled around the country and lived out of a Volkswagen Rabbit for two or three years trying to figure out where they might want to live. So I didn't really see them for a long time. I spent my summer months uh, either acting or traveling. So after I got out of college to visit, I went to Seattle. I stopped at Chicago in Chicago for a while and worked for a little while. Ended up eventually falling in love with Seattle, where they had eventually settled and spent almost 15 years there. And yes, eventually started a theater company that was um, that we adapted fiction for the stage. So I took mm-hmm. my love of reading and kind of uh, you know applied it. And eventually, the theater company started doing uh, longer form adaptations of novels. And their first big success was the Cider House Rules, uh, the oh, John Irving yeah. novel. Okay. I I left the company after about five years. I also left the uh, school where I was an acting teacher. I was the founder of the school as well, uh, in part because my first marriage ended, and uh, and once again wanted by the law. So, you know, <laughs> like father, like son, uh, and I moved to ahead. Los Angeles in nineteen ninety four. Pardon? You got to keep one step ahead. Always one step ahead, the, and then the long you know, arm. of course the. Yeah, yeah, you know, and then years of plastic surgery. So now, I mean, <laughs> the pictures are still on the post office walls, but I don't look like that no more. 
So we, when you moved, to, so you moved from Seattle to LA, is that when you started getting your film roles or did you do more theater acting there? No, the move, the move here was predicated on, you know, I was, thir- I was mid 34 ish and I thought, you know, there's just, the reality is it's really, really hard to make a living as a, um, a stage actor. Mm-hmm. You, you have to sing and dance and go to New York and, even then, the ceiling is is considerably lower than it is in the film and TV world. Oh yeah, and I, and I'm also a bit of a lazy slut. It shows <laughs> eight shows a week is a motherfucker. So oh, yeah. I was tired of teaching. I was tired of being an artistic director. I, I believed very much that you know doing theater in your community is important, but it's really hard to make a buck uh, at a certain point. So I kind of turned over both companies. I was leading the uh, theater company, the one that was doing adaptations for the stage. Uh, but I had some wonderful colleagues. I turned the company over to them. I was only one of a, a handful of teachers who were running the school. It was easy enough for me to exit there. And when I came here, I really put theater on the back burner, concentrated on the film and TV career. I had done some film and TV work in Seattle, so I had a little bit of a reel, was able to get an agent. And it took me a couple of years, but then, you know, I, I pretty much have been working consistently since 90, I guess, 97. Yeah, you know, and I've kind of pulled it back in the last few years. My my wife and I, we don't have kids, so I don't need to save anything for anybody. I'm 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 you know well situated. And, <laughs> Take it all with you. And I wanted to kind of I wanted to put some time into into the social work that I have always been involved in. That I care about a lot. When we met you in Chicago, I mean, it was the second time we met, but it was it was evident that you were very passionate about your charitable works your charitable works and you know your you know i hesitate to call it uh you know left-wing radical left-wing fucking commie politics go for it (laughs) well you know i wasn't gonna say that i mean that's that's kind of where we all fall let me say it for you (laughs) i never mind alienating half of the audience that's listening to me they haven't if they haven't turned off by now they're probably on my side (laughs) most likely i think i was going to say something more like your political proclivities but that that works too Ooh, alliteration i'm i'm a uh I'm somewhat facetious. I mean, I am a uh, I'm a political pragmatist. I'm a progressive, and I would certainly probably fall to the left of most people. But at the same time, you know, I recognize the political realities of this country and the world are that you know you, you've got to find a way to to work with people who disagree with you. So I I you know I don't think this country is ever going to move as left as I might wish it to move. I think we have definitely moved far too far to the right, and I think the right wing these days have maintained power in part by obviously leveraging fear and bigotry and prejudice, and that's I think a terrifying thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's a tricky thing to talk about because, understandably, individuals who are more conservative than I am feel like you are calling them bigots, and mm-hmm. uh, that's that's a tough thing. But I think at the same time. I won't be disingenuous about it. Whether or not the people who are supporting Donald Trump are bigots or not, there are certainly a lot of people who are supporting Donald Trump for whom the issue of bigotry is not sufficiently important to make them mm-hmm. think twice about what they're doing. Agreed. Yeah. And that may be a distinction without a difference in, in some people's mind. I think it's a distinction, but I nonetheless think it has to be called out. This man and what this administration and what the Republican Party is doing is requiring people to put their conscience in an icebox, and it is wrong, and it is bad for a country. We have right now the you know the Democratic hopefuls for president the presidency. You have kind of you know they're all to the left, but you have some that are more left than others. You know some that are more more you know I, I mean Joe Biden is a good example of someone who's much more centrist. Yeah, Klobuchar, Buttigieg. I mean, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I would, I would, of course, you know. I mean, I, I kind of maybe hold my nose a little bit, but I, I'd vote for Bloomberg. I, the, the most conservative Democrat is still a person with a conscience and a rational, and, and, and frankly, he's rational. I mean, I look at mm-hmm. what's happening internationally. What just happened in Iran? Mm-hmm. The betrayal of the Kurds, the fundamental betrayal of our international alliances, a repudiation of everything that the West has built over the course of the last sixty years to keep this world safe and prosperous. Because this one egomaniac believes that his dick needs to be bigger than everybody else's dick. To me, it's insanity. It's insanity. So yeah. any Democrat 
You, you, Any independent, anybody. I would vote. <laughs> I tell you what, I would vote for, you know, uh, Bill Weld, I think. I would vote for anybody. If you pick, I would pick a goddamn name out of the phone book and say, <laughs> Herman Maladroit, welcome to the presidency. <laughs> yeah, you, you'll get no argument from us, certainly. <laughs> no. Um, especially yeah, well, those I, of us I, who are I, present. Yeah, I, I was, suddenly there's only one interviewer left. It's like I could hear the door slam. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what we do is we take a a show that was very socially conscious and made and state, still is today and still is today. Um, but particularly in, in the '60s, you know, they were doing things at the time that that, that w- they were making social statements that weren't being made at the time in the same way. Well, you know. I, I would just I would dispute that to a certain extent because I think there's a little bit of. Uh, um, and forgive me, I'm I am a Star uh-huh. Trek fan, sort of, <laughs> but I do sometimes think that Star Trek can be a little self idolatrous. There were a, a lot of shows. Uh, East Side, West Side, with George C. Scott comes to mind. Uh-huh. Um, there were a lot of shows in the '60s, The Twilight Zone, that had a strong uh-huh. social consciousness. It, to a certain extent, I think that Star Trek, because it managed to wed that social consciousness with a a very uh, clever, creative, mm-hmm. imaginative storytelling hook, mm-hmm. kind of is now thought of as one of the shows that was a path blazer on the social consciousness front. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I've always thought that sometimes gets a little overstated and, and, and we kind of lose the forest for the trees and not because I grew up in, you know, I was like 70s more than 60s. Mm-hmm. But I know a fair amount about 60s and 50s era television. There were a lot of folks who were kind of making socially conscious television. I think Star Trek is so accessible, especially, you know, I mean, in the 60s, it had that kind of camp quality where it was easy yeah. to sit down and watch it and there were bright colors and, and that kind of thing. Pew, pew, space. Whereas, yeah. you know, the Twilight Zone absolutely dealt with these issues, but, it, you know, it was black and white and it was dark, you know, I mean, it was dark thematically. And so maybe not as accessible to the family sitting around yeah. the TV at dinner time. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree. And, you know, I, I mean, I think another show that was in a weird way kind of ahead of his time. I mean, it's weird because, of course, Bill Cosby is now sitting in fucking jail. Yeah. But I Spy. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that was a seminal American television program when it comes to race relations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was and it was coincident to Star Trek. And it sometimes gets a little forgotten. Yeah. Um, the, the point I was trying to make, though, was, you know, politically speaking, uh, you know, we 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 all grew up with a show, and um, but now we you know we write music about it, and we really, I mean, we care about it, and we kind of feel this responsibility to, uh, you know, to emulate these values. Keep the keep the, keep the ethos going. Yeah, exactly. right. And it's it's which to me is really easy to do, and I'm I'm vocal about my political opinions and views. I mean, I think, you know, what, what in part simply because, you know, we now live in a polarized age in which everybody wants to tear everybody down. I think the fundamental right wing talking point and the ammo that they will continually lob is that it's all so much bloviation because unlike Colin Kaepernick, a celebrity who stands up at an awards show in front of a friendly audience and says, support my cause, isn't really risking anything. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that I believe that activism necessarily has to entail risk for it to be of value. But we do have a tendency in America to equate the two things. When we talk about the civil rights movement, we usually talk about the fact that people were walking at the head of a line into truncheons. So I sometimes think one of the things that gets downgraded when we talk about celebrity activism is the fact that there isn't the same level of, you know, uh, sacrifice. At the same time, then you talk about Jane Fonda, who is getting thrown in the clink every fucking week for talking about climate change. You know, she gets kind of uh, portrayed as a kook and a radical and a nut. So Mm -hmm. the right wing has a a nifty way of scoring you if you do and scoring you if you don't. And that's one Mm -hmm. of the things that I think is pernicious about the conservative movement these days is they basically use their megaphone to so limit what is acceptable by way of speech or behavior by deriding everything, Mm -hmm. either for not being activist enough or for being too activist because what they really want is they want silence, complicity, and they want you to go the fuck away. Precisely. Yeah. And I, I think there are many 
uh, you know, Republicans or, or people to the right who are, who are what I would consider very good people. There's not, they're not all evil people and they're not all consciously racist and, and that kind of thing. I think that a lot of, you know, what we're seeing today is just, of what it's just blind party allegiance. Right. At this point. And, and I, and, and not, you know, not allowing oneself to evolve, I guess. And, you know, the other part of it is just not paying attention and not caring, yeah. which I think is just, it's not just as bad as being a conscious contributor, but it, there is a degree of complicity, of complicity there. And, yeah. and it's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely true. And I, I agree with you. It's very difficult. I mean, traveling and meeting a lot of people who seem to be lovely people who I believe would give me the shirt off their back, but who, when the conversation comes to politics and comes to governance and comes to um, civil rights, which I think is so much of what animates me, yeah. mm -hmm. I feel like people are, um, are, are blind. Yeah. A lot of people mm -hmm. who I might respect as individuals and I respect their passion for their individual charitable causes. I respect the warmth with which they treat me and doubtless other people in their lives. But I think when it comes to the big picture issues that face us today, mm -hmm. one of them having to do with race and nativism and inclusion – Mm -hmm. I think people are willfully blind to the damage that is being done, not just here, but all over the world. I don't know how to have respectful conversations with people when you do on some level have to say, I think you are betraying some really vital, vital values yeah. in your in your political posture. Oh, absolutely. It's, hard, it's a hard conversation to have. I can't pretend that I don't think that's happening. And I get the idea, and I know this is also baked into the pie when it comes to people's religious attitudes, that the idea mm -hmm. that somehow it is worth getting into bed with somebody whose personal values are in the toilet because what they are doing is transforming the country in a way that would, for instance, outlaw abortion, and that that is yeah. worth the trade-off. Yeah. There's no way that you can be religious, and I'm not religious, but I've read a lot of religious texts. I'm, I'm not no the exact way same you way. can be religious and and not be moral. And right. I don't yeah. see a lot of people governed by a true moral code these yeah. days. Okay. Which which is why it was so interesting us us being based in Indiana seeing like Pete Pete Buttigieg coming coming out of nowhere as a mayor of a small Indiana town and then coming yeah. out and he's a he's 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 an openly gay man and he yeah. and he's and he is very religious, served in the military and it's like the, and like the the Republicans don't they, they 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 seem to gloss over his military service, which they're always harping about. Won't you go over there and serve? He did. Well, look at John Kerry. Look at what they did to John Kerry. You oh, know? I, I mean, that, that's what. And it's not just. I mean, this is the thing. And forgive me, you got me on my on my pet hobby horse. So if you want me to <laughs> oh, step down, just no, not at all. The we're, we're fine with it. But the thing that gets me about the Republican Party is that it is so it is so now being led around by its nose by the Rupert Murdoch sound machine. Mm -hmm. And that sound machine exists for one reason and one reason only to make a fucking fortune. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like the, it's like the, the, the you know, mineral extraction industry. Look at what's happening in Australia. Hand in glove, oh. the coal industry and Rupert Murdoch are willing to see the country fucking burn. Yeah. You know, a, 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 it just it's disgraceful. To my mind, we are all standing on Rupert Murdoch's shoulders in hell. Yeah. And I, for one, if I'm down there, I'm going to be digging in with my heels because I want that guy to fucking feel it. In the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I found is that you don't have to you don't have to make someone change their mind. You have to let them realize it themselves, you know? So mm -hmm. you get in a conversation with somebody and you just let them, let them start digging this hole. So they may not necessarily change their mind, but you get them to the point where they are thinking, okay, this conscious thought, like, okay, where, where am I? You know, <laughs> what have I, what have I gotten myself into and how do I get out of it? Where, that, where that, are my morals? Yeah. Well, where, that, what happened to them? Exactly. And that may not be necessarily the answer and they may not, that may not turn somebody around, but Getting someone to think is the beginning. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I agree, and I look at somebody like MJ Hagar, who's running in Texas, and I think she's a wonderful candidate because she very much says exactly what you just said. Yeah. That's why I'm not a politician because <laughs> I can't do that. I I am far too tart tongued and yeah. and easily easily risable to be as uh, as gracious 
as mm-hmm. that. And it's, it's, you know, it's one of the reasons I do what I do in the social service world, given what I do, which is to try and figure out how to care for people who are needy. I don't have to, I don't have to engage in political conversations. Right. I'm not great at holding my tongue. <laughs> You'll be shocked to hear. <laughs> I never, I never would have guessed that. Yeah. I know you never would have guessed that. And it gets worse <laughs> the older I get. <laughs> I, you know what though? I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I think. I, I mean, I, I I can make a good pitch, but I there are times when you should just shut the fuck up, and that's not my strong suit. I, I think that we need people like that, though. You know, you have the the functional politicians who can be sympathetic and and talk to anybody and help change minds. But we, I think, we do need the person that doesn't hold their tongue and can shout, you know, shout out and, and make these statements, even though it may not be necessarily immediately as effective. I think that it still yeah, makes people think. I, yeah. You I know? mean, it's all that. I mean, the one thing that, for instance, politically, I mean, I am obviously I'm very political, is that during the Obama, the eight years of the Obama administration, when you look at all the state Senate and state House seats that we lost, approximately 900, yeah. mm-hmm. because Democrats, and I'm a Democrat, Democrats were passive. Democrats yeah. thought, well, as long as we have the presidency, yeah. we'll probably keep the courts. And if we don't mm. have the House and maybe we don't have the Senate, that's okay. We'll have enough power. And we and we eventually had to wake up and go, oh, shit, we've been shellacked. Yeah. we got to contest every goddamn dog catcher, <laughs> every land commissioner, every you know, city council seat in this country – and the one thing that to me comes out of this extremely dark age mm-hmm. is that those people who are of my political persuasion have been rallied by oh. the ferocity and the anger and the passion that they now feel in response to what I believe is a, a wannabe dictator. And we're competing. Yeah, I was I was you know? I, I was just about to say that, too. It's like a, the 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 for the only fortunate thing about this current administration and the state of our country right now is that it's. Uh, it's waking up a lot of people on the left and even yeah. say, and, and, and even centrist to be like all yeah, all, yeah, all, and, all and, elections are important and it's it's it starts with the local elections because everything's going to trickle yeah, up exactly exactly and that's where you and that's where you have to develop your bench i mean you know right. if you don't have people who fight for political office you can't have people who run consistently and run well for higher political office yeah you know yeah. so yeah it, and that's my that's my concern is i just don't know whether or not I don't think we know. I mean, I yeah. do, have you ever read Steven Pinker, The Better Angels of Our Nature? No. No. He's somebody to check out because he kind of – and Nicholas Kristof, who writes for The New York Times, also has a column every year in which he says, this is the best year we've ever had in the history of the world. <laughs> and it is, it, is, it is true that you know people are living longer. They have uh, – you know, they're much less likely to die, die of diseases that we have now cured. Uh, you go back and you look at 1945, the average Chinese person did not make it to the age of 30. Now the average Chinese person makes it to the age of 70 plus. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 you know we do have to realize that this incredible era of plenty has has been a wonderful thing, but we now live on the flip side of that. All these success stories have created this deep, deep potential chasm of destruction because our population is simply so fucking big. Yeah, and we have and our political system is broken. Yep. And if we can't figure out some fixes in the next few years, I don't know that we aren't going to cross over a very dark bridge. And yeah. that, that scares the fuck out of me. Yeah. I feel like we're standing on the edge of a chasm, you know? And Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's just know. like, what's going to happen and next? This, and, this, and this asshole is standing behind us pushing. Yeah. I feel yeah, like sometimes right. it's like one of those those horror movies where you're like, you're dangling by your fingers, like yeah. in North by Northwest. Well, he's and, playing King of the Mountain. Donald Trump is... He wants to be on top. And he's stepping on my hand. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, I, I I have about five minutes. Can you let's let's end on a cheery note? Okay, Talk okay. about something fun, something frivolous, something marvelous. Well, you know what? I I, I was wondering. So we haven't talked about my, my swimsuit photos. What have, <laughs> yeah. have you seen them? I don't care about the swimsuit photos. I'm I'm still waiting on the nudes, John. Ugh, the nudes. The nudes. You're dreaming. Those are private. You're dreaming. <laughs> well, Let's yeah, start with the swimsuit calendar and work our way downward from there. <laughs> I I have a question for you. Since we didn't. We haven't really, we haven't talked any Star Trek, really. Um, yeah. and, and this, you know, this being... We touched on it, we touched on it. We, we did touch on it. But bit. what I'm curious about is, and something, you know, I've I've read interviews and I've listened to podcasts with you on it, but I am curious about is you were on Enterprise for four years. And yes. did you have 
like cast members? Did you have people that you hung out with or like somebody that you were, you know, what was it like on set? You know, that did you have someone that, you know, between takes you just hang out with or was it just like whoever was around? Or oh, what? Yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, I thought we all, I mean, I, I'll say this. I did anyway. I loved everybody. I thought everybody was a doll. There wasn't <laughs> anybody that I wasn't happy to shoot the shit with that. I wasn't happy to gab with. Um, we, we, because we didn't last seven years and because we weren't a tremendously successful show, I think there were certain um, things that happen when a show is successful and you're on press junkets and you're going to a lot of conventions and you're making the movies and yada, yada, that makes you really tight. So we didn't get really tight. Yeah. I mean, I, I see some of these guys at conventions, probably mostly Anthony, Dominic, and Connor, mm -hmm. and I'm always happy to see them, all of them. And I see Linda on occasion, and I'm always happy to see her. Scott's obviously Scott. He's the headliner. He's off living his own big life. He's <laughs> in New Orleans. lead on a hit show. Yeah. So I never <laughs> see Scott. And Joe kind of was retired, married, married, uh, you know, and, and has three kids. So I never see Joe. But I have nothing. I really, truly, and I. this is, of course, what every actor says, and, and sometimes it's bullshit. But in this instance, uh, it's completely not bullshit. I have nothing but affection for everyone who was on that show and everybody I've met in the franchise. I mean, it's been – I wasn't necessarily, and I think probably as a fan, probably for me, it, it kind of came down to a little bit of in this very dark time we're living in. I think the one thing that always kind of didn't bug me about Star Trek, but it always made me scratch my head, is I kind of wanted Star Trek to ask the question, how do you get from where we are to this kind of a utopia? Uh, yeah. Weirdly, yeah. now the modern Star Trek is kind of beginning to ask that question in a kind of, you know, in a kind of way. But when I was on Star Trek, when I was on Enterprise, we were still a little bit neither fish nor fowl. Mm -hmm. It was wanting to be a little darker, but it was still fundamentally your dad's Star Trek. Right. And so I kind of thought we were just not quite always um, – the vision of our show was always a little bit of a head scratch to me. Yeah. Have you seen any of the any of Discovery at all? I saw the pilot, which I didn't. I, I wasn't wild about because mm -hmm. Klingons always bore me. To be honest <laughs> with you, and I, I, for those people who are Klingons who are listening to this, then you know, Arg Flergberg blog to you, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll, 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 we'll have to bring in the translator for that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring in the translator. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I understand that the show got you know really interesting. I just didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, you know, I didn't yeah. want to pay for it. <laughs> well, <laughs> Bottom line. You know, there's uh, the other aspect of what we do. Obviously, is music. I, I know I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I am interested. In, and we talked about this. What 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 kind of music do you like to listen to? Or, or you know, do you have a favorite band or artist? Or you know, do you like classical? Uh, um, oh, you're going to be so disappointed. You're going to end on such a disappointing <laughs> note with me. Um, I uh, I'm, I love classical music, and I because I read, I always have classical music on in the background. That's not disappointing. Um, uh, well, I, but I'm you know I'm also um, I'm not um, uh, I do like music, but I'm kind of a, 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 a dummy when it comes to <laughs> the names of bands and the names of artists and the names of of pieces. They don't uh, they don't tend to really stick in my head, so I'm. I'm hopeless in a musical conversation. In fact, when I play poker with these guys who I adore, and a number of them are in a band, and we'll turn, and they'll turn the <clears throat> the music on, and frequently the poker game will come to this fucking flaw, you know, like this this screeching halt because everybody's like, oh, I love that track, you know, what like Miles made that in '64 was like, you know, and then he had this track, blah 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 blah. blah. It's like, can we play some fucking poker? <laughs> So you know, music is not is not a uh, an area of uh, of expertise of mine. I'm afraid. Well, we have uh, many a time we'll be in practice and things just go off the rails, and it's that kind of thing where it's like, can we just play some music, guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you played a Denobulin, obviously, but if you could have been any other race, a character on Star Trek, what what would it have been? Um, who are the longest lived? Vulcans. Vulcans, I think. Vulcans. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, who are the most promiscuous? Uh, Ferengi, maybe. <laughs> well, Ferengi got the got the umbox, the weird like ear hand yeah. jobs, basically. Yeah, so. I don't think I, I want to be a Ferengi. I think Denobulans yeah. probably. Uh, yeah, the most... <laughs> I was gonna say that Denobulans had the, the, the weird like, like yeah. polyamorous yeah. lifestyle. That's yeah. true. 
Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. That's, I mean, it's awfully hard, you know. Once you've been a Denobulan, it's awfully hard to, uh, you know, uh, after you've been to Paris, you can't get them back on the farm. Um, uh, yeah, Vulcans are a little too much, too tight assy. Uh, let's see. I reveal my ignorance when it comes to the Star Trek canon because I can't think of too many. Like, I, I knew, I know nothing about Bajorans. I know nothing about. I didn't watch Deep Space Nine, so I don't know any of those guys. Uh, John, we'll just we'll just chalk you up as as Klingon and be done with it. There we go. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> no Klingon, no Klingon, no Andorian, none of the fighters. I would want to be if the lovers, the lovers, the lovers and the readers, whoever the species were that you know, like just basically. And I think that's that's why I got that's why I got the job. Oh, somehow. In auditioning for this part, they they realized that you know it was like this is what we're looking for. We're looking for a you know a guy who likes to a, a merry guy who likes to read who basically says sex machine. We should hire John. <laughs> I mean, I because I mean because like whenever I think of the name John John Billingsley, I mean I automatically think sex machine. If I had a nickel for the number of times. <laughs> Um, you, you'd have a nickel. I would have a nickel. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then that nickel came from me because I said it about myself. So that's <laughs> even worse. John, um, we thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Anytime, anytime. And, and, uh, I'm sorry for probably, I probably decimated your audience. You're going to get like, <laughs> you never have that asshole all again. No, I don't want to Yeah. And, and when you get those calls, you tell those people that John said, fuck you. Well, I have your cell number, so I'll just give it to him. That's, no! that's cool, right? No! No! But fuck you lovingly. Fuck you more from like a, you know, fuck sure, you gently. heartfelt place. Yeah. Fuck you gently. Well, we love you, yeah. John. Yeah. Thank you very much for My joining pleasure. us, and, and we will uh, we'll see you at a, a convention sometime. I look forward to it. Take care, and give our love to Bonnie. I will indeed. <laughs> Take care, John. Thanks, John. Andy, what's that all over your jacket? Oh, why, it's a bunch of random stuff, but also a lot of stuff from fansets.com. What's fansets.com? Fansets is your home for all thing pin-related pop culture pin things. Well, how, how can I get some? You could go to fansets.com right now. You want to know what they have there? What do they have there, Andy? Hey, Mike, do you want to know what they have there? I want to know what they have there, Andy. Do you know any of the things that they have there? I have no idea. Tell me. This is all new to me. Well, I will tell you. They have things from stuff like the Big Bang Theory, Firefly, Harry Potter. Oh, yeah, this little show called Star Trek. So they're pins. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, they're sets. You can buy them as sets, yes. You can display them. You could wear them. Are they the, like the enamel pins? Yes, they're high quality so high enamel quality, pins. High quality, really durable. Very. And you can you can just stick them wherever you wherever you want. Where the sun don't shine sometimes. Well, that sounds painful. It can be, but I I highly would not recommend that. You know what? I I really really want to get some of these pins, but I only have about eighty five percent of the money that I need. To pay for these pins. Boy, do I have a deal for you, sir. <gasps> right now, you can head over to fansets.com and get 15% off your order, especially from Five Year Mission, the podcast. 15%? That's a whole 15% off your entire order at fansets.com. But right now, you can head over to fansets.com, get 15% off your entire order by entering the code Five Year Mission upon checkout. That's the number five, all caps, Year Mission. Five year mission. Is that all one word or, or that is spaces? all one word, no spaces. Hey, a hundred minus fifteen is eighty-five. I can do it. <gasps> Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our sponsors over at fansets.com for sponsoring our podcast and every single other podcast on the Trek Geeks Network every stinking week. So that was John Billingsley. Boy, howdy it was. Yeah. We got into some things. A few things. <laughs> lots of lots of books, lots of politics, uh, lots of lots of F-bombs. Yeah. Well, you know what? Um, they were warranted. Oh, absolutely. I thought, it, I thought that was okay. I mean, he, he, he only curses when necessary. And, and sometimes we're it's, not. It's but often it's necessary. Okay. <laughs> sometimes we're not. <laughs> but we love John Billingsley, so it's all right. I want to mention real quick, one thing that we didn't, uh, we didn't get too far into was the organization that he works with 
the um, Hollywood Food Coalition. And I know John mentioned it, but I wanted to make sure that we mention the website is H-O-F-O-C-O dot org. And you should go there and check it out just because it's, uh, you know, it's important to him and it's important. uh, It's an important organization. So you should check it out. And we, you know, we love to support that kind of thing. Absolutely. But hopefully we will have uh, John on another future episode. We would gladly have him back. Maybe we'll talk Star Trek next time. Thank you for listening to Five Year Mission, the podcast with John Billingsley. We'll see you next time on Five Year Mission, the podcast with some other person or just us. We don't know yet. We have been your hosts. Andy Fark. Chris Spurgeon. And Michael Rittenhouse. Thank you. Michael Paul Rittenhouse. Michael Paul. (laughs) This is not my middle name. We want it to be, though. Don't it's lie. canon now. <laughs> Classic we Michael Paul you, We retconned your name. And Hashtag classic Michael Paul Rittenhouse. Are we done yet? Sure are. Thank you for listening to this episode of Five Year Mission, the podcast. If any of you are interested in listening to more of our music, you can check us out on YouTube or Spotify or iTunes or pretty much anywhere that you can listen to music. Just search for Five Year Mission and we should be the first thing that comes up. If you would like to contact us in regards to the podcast or anything else that you want to talk to us about, you can email us at fiveyearmissionband at gmail.com. And for more information about the band, you can go to fiveyearmission.net and also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Sure.